Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you have made us your people. Father, please bless us this morning uh, with your presence, with your word to us. Speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, imagine yourself, you are hanging out, it's a summer, sunny afternoon, it's easy to imagine at this point, over this summer, you're you're hanging out with your friend in your backyard, you're you're drinking some sarsaparilla, and your friend turns to you and he says, "Uh, what's the Lord like? What's this Lord like that you're uh, worshipping, you're talking about? What would you say? Perhaps think about what he likes or dislikes. Uh, Maybe what are his deeds? What are the kinds of things that he does? How does he act in the world? Or what's his capacity? What can he do? Now, the reason I start that way is because I think that Proverbs gives us a window into what God is like. God takes time in the Proverbs to reveal to us things about himself. He goes and says, this is what I'm like. And so my hope this morning is that together we'll get a sight of him. That's where I'm wanting to go this morning. I want us to have a sight of him. And in some ways, it's like that song that we sang earlier. You know, we sing about he's great. He's king of the earth. He's mighty. He's glorious. And my hope is that what we look at this morning will load up some of those uh, phrases so that we we can say uh, even more deeply, wow, yeah, he is great, he is glorious, wow, he is merciful. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, It's going to be a bit of a flyover, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of going to fly over, drop bombs and... uh, (laughs) And we're just, we're going to have to clean up the debris later, as it were. So I apologise for that. I, what I mean is I'm aware that I'll open up a bunch of boxes, but it'll be good for us to carry on the conversation. One thing to note here at the start, this is always the way we need to approach God's word is God does the speaking, we do the listening. It's our job to set our hearts in such a way that we are ready for God to reveal himself to us. Not for us to say to God, this is what you ought to be like, but for God to say to us, here, I'm letting you in, I'm showing you what I'm like. So with that in mind, we're going to look at three areas uh, that kind of Proverbs uh, reveals the Lord to us. Areas of his heart, what he likes and dislikes, you know, for the um, uh, trendy uh, young geezers, it, it would be what he kind of, you know, does a thumb up or a thumb down to on Facebook, is that right? And uh, Or he would double tap on Instagram. How's that? Cultural reference. Right. <laughs> okay, so we're going to look at his heart, what he likes, what he dislikes, his actions, how he acts in the world, and his capacity. So to start with, let's think about the Lord's heart. The first thing about the Lord's heart is that, and the point here, is that the Lord is not an indifferent force. 
He's not an indifferent force. He actually cares about things. Uh, look at Proverbs 12.22. The Lord detests lying lips, but delights in people who are faithful. The Lord detests lying lips, but delights in people who are faithful. Or what about this one? Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. Notice here how we have the comparisons. We have lying lips on the one hand, we have trustworthiness uh, on the other. We have dishonesty on the one hand, and we have accuracy on the other. And you see how the Lord cares about these things. In the first proverb, he cares about how we we speak, the words that we say and the lives that we live. One set is detestable to him. One set is delightful to him. He cares about how we deal financially. That's this proverb here. Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord. But an accurate weight is his delight. He delights in right dealings. Perhaps it's right, perhaps the way the Lord feels this way is because that's exactly according to his character, isn't it? Check out Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. It says, he is the rock. His, check it out, his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That's his nature, that's what he's like. He's straight, he is upright and he loves uprightness. That's fitting, isn't it? Second thing the Proverbs tells us about the Lord's heart, what he likes and dislikes, is that he dislikes proud people. He dislikes proud people. Proverbs 16 verse 5, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. So why pride, you might say? Well, I think there are three reasons why pride. Uh, the first is that pride is a denial of creatureliness. What do I mean by that? You see, we were created by God. We are entirely dependent beings. Everything we have uh, was given to us by God. Nothing we have wasn't given to us by God. And so to act in pride is to deny the givenness of our whole lives, of everything that we are. Second reason, I think, is because pride is deceptive. Pride's a lie. Because pride presents itself as owning something that was given to us, it deceives. Try and imagine yourself... uh, in a room, you can overhear the conversation next door. The person next door is boasting to some friends. They are boasting about something they have achieved. They don't know that you're listening. You hear in and you think, hold on a second. The thing they're boasting about, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me. I actually contributed the the critical uh, component 
in what they're boasting about that made it happen. But, but I don't hear any mention of my name. How does that make you feel? You think to yourself, hold on a second. That's a bit of an outrage, isn't it? What's happening there? It's a lie, isn't it? It's deceptive. It's a boast. It's a pride. It's proud. It's saying, look at my achievement. Check out my glory. And it's actually deceiving where that, glory, where that achievement has come from. And so it is with pride that comes from us. Everything we have is given to us by God. And all boasting is ultimately supposed to find its end in him. He is the one that grounds, is, is the ground and source of all of our achievements. And so in the same way that we sang the, so, the song this morning, my only boast is you. So pride is a lie, it's deceptive. Uh, but thirdly, I think that it because of that, I think it robs from God. Pride is robbing something from God that's actually his. You see, all the glory is his. And as we boast and we are proud, we are taking away from something that rightfully belongs to God and thereby diminishing God. And so the Lord detests all the proud of heart. But no, it goes deeper, and this is, this is a bit of a challenge for us this morning, I think, in understanding what the Lord is like, and what he likes and dislikes. And here's the challenge. Note what it doesn't say in this proverb. The Lord detests all the pride in the heart. You see that? Be sure of this, it will go, will not go unpunished. You see what I've done? It doesn't say the Lord detests all the pride in a person's heart. Be sure of this, that pride will not go unpunished. I think this is a challenging reality that we discover about the Lord. It's not just the pride that the Lord detests, It's the proud person that the Lord detests. Just to be clear, I'm not making this up. That's what it says right there on the page. Now, I recognise that that's a little bit hard to get our heads around. But that's the way the Bible speaks about us as proud people. We are detestable to the Lord in our pride. You see, the Bible doesn't distinguish between the sin and the sinner. Sin is only ever done by sinners. And it is sinners who are in danger of God's judgment, not sin. It's a consistent word in Scripture. Psalm 5.5 says, The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate All who do wrong. Not you hate wrong. You hate all who do wrong. Now one way to it, one reaction to this is to to push away from it and say we've got to get away from that, squash it down, push it out. 
But I think actually we lose something of the beauty of the gospel when we do that. You see? Because this doesn't undo God's mercy. This actually magnifies God's mercy. Because what it does is it shows us, it highlights, shows us more clearly what it means when it says that Christ died for the ungodly. It shows us more what it means when it says that God loved you and sent Christ for you while you were his enemy. It, it, it highlights what it means when God says, when the Bible teaches that there, is, there wasn't anything in you that was lovely to start with, that made God love you and choose you and unite you to his son and give you eternal life. That's not the ground of God's love for you. God loved you because he loved you even when you were ugly and detestable in his sight. That gives us a better picture of God in his mercy and his grace. And we marvel and say, what? We are simply made lovely in his son. God's all my pleasure, all my delight is in my son. And I take the ugly and I unite him to my son. And by virtue of being in my son and in my son alone, I make you lovely. I make you beautiful. I make you my delight and my pleasure. And the beauty is, you see here, it's not grounded in you, ever. Never was, never will be. It's all grounded in the Son. And it's marvellous. This way we can put everything aside. All the idea that I might be detestable in God's sight is gone in Christ. Not because I cleaned myself up but because I was given Jesus and Jesus made me clean. Jesus made me delightful. <clears throat> Third thing, I think, is that Proverbs teaches us about what the Lord likes and dislikes in terms of true and false worship. Look at 15 verse 8. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Again, that's a consistent word in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 1, verse uh, 13 to 15 says this, Bring no more vain offerings. So the context is uh, the Lord is, is angry at his people. He's given them these, uh, uh, this uh, system of worship. <coughs> of how to, He's told them how to worship him. But then he says to them at this point, uh, Bring no more vain offerings. Your incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, that's all these meetings and festivals and, and religious, religious um, activity. I cannot endure iniquity, sin, and your solemn assemblies. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. This is the worship that he had prescribed for them. But why? And it... it it gets to the end that says, your hands are full of blood. On the one hand, 
we have a wicked life. On the other hand, we have all the religious garb. The Lord says, I can't stand this. I, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. What the Lord loves is consistency. He loves when there's seamlessness between uh, life lived and worship given. And he detests hypocrisy when the two are separated. Jesus has got exactly the same sentiment in Matthew 25, 27. Woe to you, he says, to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Outwardly, all the religious stuff. Inwardly, not a care for God. I think part of the reason why the Lord uh, feels this way is because mere formality is not loving God, it's using God. It not only so, but it treats God like a fool, like he doesn't know what you're doing. But authentic worship expresses a genuine love, genuine humility, and genuine honesty, which again is consistent with God's character. Now, why this approach? <clears throat> Well, I've taken this approach this morning. That's three things that Proverbs shows us about the Lord. And the reason why is because it changes the way we view our behavior and our heart. Because you see, it's not the case that we are dealing in our lives with an impersonal moral code, but a person. We walk our lives, we live our lives before a person. Not just a moral code out there. I find strength in that as I am tempted by a particular way of life, particular actions. And, and here's, how, here's how it cashes out, an example from my life. Not that I've done this, but this is where I could see myself being tempted. You're selling your car. And you know that there's a problem with it. It's not, it's not a conspicuous problem. It's a problem that the person's going to probably find out, out about in about a month. But you know about it. You advertise it as very good. Lying lips. You sell it as a good buy. Dishonest scales. One way to think about it is, is, is just in that kind of immoral, impersonal code out there that I shouldn't break. But doesn't it just turn the whole thing into uh, high definition when you see, actually, if I write these words, this is lying. It's not just that there's a code out there that I'm kind of breaking. There's a person at the other end of that who detests that. And this is the God of the universe. It makes it much more personal. Seeing what the Lord is like and seeing what he likes and dislikes means that we can say, ah, he wouldn't like that. I'm not going to do that. But if I'm honest, I can see his smile. He'd love that. 
He would love it if I was honest. That's what he would love. He would love if I were to sell this car for the right price. He would be pleased. He would smile. That, that would be, a, yeah, I like that. That's the kind of thing that I like. And so as his children, right, this is just, a, we have to clarify. I said this last week, so, so, so listen to last, the beginning of last week's sermon. We have to read Proverbs, two ways to read Proverbs, and one of the ways is we don't read Proverbs with Jesus in view. I'm not talking here at this point about how to get positionally right with God, how to become his child. If you're not in Christ, if you're not already safe in him, if you're not already in a relationship with him, this is not the way to go. The way to go about that is not to say, I've got to clean up my life, I've got to make sure all my speech is right. I've got to make sure, make sure all my dealings are correct. Then I'm, that's how I'm going to keep God happy, stop him from being angry. That's not how it works. You've got to get in Christ. All of us are, are full of sin. All of us are completely dirty. We've all got to get inside Christ. That's how this starts. That's how it ends. We've got to stay in Christ. But from being in Christ, we live to please our Father. And so, I, and so, as I speak here to believers and those in Christ who have repented and trusted in Jesus, this helps us as we see what our Father is like and then we say, ah, oh, yes, I'm going to please my dad. I'm going to live in a way that, that makes him smile. I'm not going to be proud. I start boasting about, hold on a second, the Lord doesn't like this. The Lord is pleased as, as praise goes to him. The Lord is not pleased with my uh, going through the motions in my worship, he wants authenticity, he wants my heart. And so that's how it cashes out in our lives. So that's the first thing, that's God's heart, what he likes and dislikes. Secondly, Proverbs teaches us about God's actions. It, it tells us that he's not just an inactive feeler, it's not just, he's, it's not just that, that God is, the Lord is out there somewhere feeling these things, he actually gets involved. He gets active in the world. <clears throat> and you may have spotted it in 16 verse 5. Because look what happens. He detests the proud of heart. He doesn't just sit back and cry in a corner. No, be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. He's active. His feelings cash out in actions. And he gets active in a number of ways. Here are some others. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes even their enemies to make peace with them. He's active in their lives. He's active in the world. Or this, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but thwarts the craving of the wicked. The New Testament picks up on some of these themes, these similar themes, and applies them to believers. Uh, one of the letters in uh, a book called James, he does this. He kind of paraphrases much of what Proverbs uh, teaches and he phrases it like this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can you see that? It's not just that God feels a certain way about the proud. God gets in and opposes the proud. It's not just that he delights in the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And, and one of the beautiful things that James does with this is James highlights the second half of the verse and uses it as a motivation to repent. 
he says, but God gives more grace. And so then he says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the point there is, so humble yourselves. Because on the other side of that humility, and this is what we want our children to feel, you know, on the other side of that humility, there is a big hug and a big yes, yes. Not a humble yourself, told you so, told you you should have done that. No, it's yes, open arms. What Jonathan was telling us at at the beginning, the father comes out. The son humbled himself. He comes back. He feels unworthy. He thinks he's going to meet a told you so, wasted your life. He meets a he gives grace to the humble. Arms open. And so so James picks up on this. This is the way the Lord acts in the world. He's opposing the proud but he's giving grace to the humble. And so it works in, stop working against the law. Your pride is not just cutting against the grain of the, of the uh, impersonal universe. You're, you're, you're pushing up against the Lord. Turn and, and, and get in the stream of grace. Paul also picks up on uh, on, on, on these ideas in Proverbs and alluding to, he alludes to Proverbs chapter uh, 20, verse 22, <clears throat> when he says, Do not take vengeance, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. You see that? In Paul's universe, there's an active God who gets involved in the affairs of the world. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says it this way, the same thing. Do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. I will pay you back for this wrong. Rather, wait for the Lord. He will avenge you. Proverbs teaches us that the Lord is on the side of his people to act. And therefore, as his people, we hold back vengeance because we we leave that to the Lord. But also he repays positively as well. Check out this in nineteen uh, chapter 19, verse 17. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. <clears throat> Proverbs doesn't spell out how and when the Lord will act, avenge, reward. It may come in this age in ways that we don't know but we do know that it will have a final reality. The Lord will act in the world and the Lord will judge and repay all people. The point here is, again, as we look up to see what the Lord is like, he's active in the world, partially now, fully in the end. And we need to know that about the Lord. We're not just following an idea 
That's not what Christianity is. It's not just a, here's a good idea of how to fix up your life. It's about, here's a person, here's God, here's a being, feels certain ways, acts certain ways, get in line with who he is. Third thing, and finally, is that I think Proverbs shows us about the capacity of the Lord. First thing it says about the capacity is that his reach has no limit. So Proverbs 20 verse 27 says this. Here's an example of the, of the reach, the capacity of the Lord, the God of the Bible. It says the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. Did you get that? The human spirit... Well, the picture is kind of the breath of a person, is the lamp. It's, it's like a lamp for the Lord. You know, he's got a little torch down there that sheds light on one's inmost being. Right? It's giving us a picture that, that your own thoughts are like God's secret agent in your life for him. You think you can hide something in your heart from him? Every thought is, is like that, that's the, the Proverbs say, that's the Lord's agent. That's his light. That's his guide to tell you what's going on. You think you can you think swing something around to try and hide it from him? No, no, no. He's got access there. He's got a secret agent on the inside. You. Not only so, but Proverbs teaches us about the Lord's capacity in an even more marvellous way when it says... In chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the Lord's hand and he turns it wherever he will. Not only can he see in there, he can steer. This, the Lord's reign, his control over everything that is also the Lord's capacity. In, verse 16, in chapter 16, verse 4, it says, The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. I'm aware that I'm saying things that are a, that are a little bit like, hold on a second, who are you talking about? What is this capacity that you're talking about? But I think that this is the picture that the Bible gives us of the Lord, and it's a picture that we need to reckon with. He works out everything to its proper end. That's not something new. Proverbs is repeating Ephesians 11.1. 1, In him we, also, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And Proverbs 16, verse 33, tells us that that, that extends right down to the casting of the lot. The casting of the lot for a decision. It's like throwing the dice. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
It's not that he's, it's not that there are just a few things that he kind of, he steps in, steps out, dabbles in, dabbles out. The whole thing functions according to his will. And Proverbs 21 verse 30 tells us that this plan of his is unstoppable. It says this, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. He is absolutely unstoppable. There is not a sphere that is outside of his reach. There is not an event in the universe that is beyond his power. Absolutely everything he works according to the purpose of his will and he's unstoppable. We are dealing with somebody who is in control. If we feel small and out of control, that's part of how we're supposed to feel. The one thing that I will say is that the Bible, that that might sound like determinism, the Bible doesn't The Bible upholds human responsibility. The Bible puts all of this uh, to the table, says this is what the Lord's like. But within that, and somehow, human beings are still responsible for their actions. We are still responsible for the choices that we make. As I said, I'm dropping bombs. We need to talk after. Um, Let's do that. But what do we do with this? right? So what do we do with this? Now, one of the ways, you know, many others have have said it, and so I'll say it, I I think it's a good way to put it, is it's it's less of a math puzzle to solve, and it's more of a truth to rest in, right? The Bible presents it less as a a riddle to, to, to unravel, but more of a beauty and a truth for our hearts to rest in, is the size of our God. What do I mean? Well, he knows your heart and he knew your heart when he loved you in Christ. So his knowledge, his reach, means that you never had any secrets from him, so you can tell him everything now. Or it means that when trials come and he says, for those who are in Christ, I work all things together for good, you can say, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Everything. Even the stuff that you think, that is, there's no way that you could work that for good. There's no way that that could be turned for good. How could that have happened? That is too bad. I thought you had control. He says, no, no, I do. And if you're wondering where you want to see uh, the kind of, the, the epitome of where this happened was at the cross. The worst event in history, totally planned by me. For good. Because I'm above you, I'm beyond you, I've got ways that you don't know about. 
I've got plans that you guys can't see. And my plans are for good. I love righteousness. I love rightness. I love straightness. I am all my ways are just. I'm not crooked in how my power is worked out. It all works out perfectly good. And it means that he has a plan and a future for your life and for this world and nobody will stop him. Right? These are not math puzzles to solve primarily. They're truths to rejoice in. Marvel that we belong to this God. When he says, I am making all things new, you can say, yeah you are. And you can. And nothing will stop me. I will make all things new. I will wipe away every tear. I will create a new creation, a new world. I will raise the dead. I will give everlasting life. I have thrown your sins into the sea. And I can. And nobody will stop me. The devil's not going to stop me. No, no nation is going to stop me. No, nothing, no person is going to stop me. I will do good. I will magnify Jesus. I will create a new creation. I will keep my people. I will save my people. I will, I will make all things new. And so just as we come to land, uh, what's the point of all this? And as I said at the start, and this is what my hope is, that as Proverbs gives us a window in to see what the Lord is like, to see what our God is like, that we would look up and we would marvel. And we would say, wow, look at this God who loves righteousness and hates wickedness who acts in the world for the humble and the righteous, his people, and who opposes the proud, who knows all things and is unstoppable. And I belong to him? Wow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that in Christ we belong to you and that you are our God. Help us to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, that ways that you delight in to see your smile. And help us to trust in your goodness, your rightness, and your plans. Thank you that all things work together for good for those who love Christ and have been called according to your purpose in him. So we give you thanks and we give you praise and we lift up your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.